0: All right, welcome back to Bacon Wrapped Business. This is Brad, and as always, I like to bring you guys the ability to listen into conversations that I wanna have with people I wanna talk to about things I wanna know about. And I have often bragged that this is one of the most selfish podcasts on iTunes because you know that I'm only talking to people that I have authentic curiosity about, that I'm following what they're doing, or people recommended them to me and say, man, you have to talk to this person. And that is the primary way that I filter every single guest who comes on this podcast. And today is absolutely no different. So two of my close friends, and if you've listened to the show, uh, business partners, Matt Wolf and Joe Fear from Evergreen Profits and the Hustle & Flow podcast, Hustle & Flow Chart podcast, they'll kill me if they know I was getting their name wrong, recently recommended a guest to me who uh, they said, man, you've got to talk to this guy Marx. He he really kind of blew our mind with a lot of the stuff he was sharing. And I think you guys would really hit it off. Uh, so I said, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. So today I'm talking to Marx Acosta Rubio. And Marx is an immigrant decamillionaire. And we'll go into his story in a moment. But he's got a very powerful success story where he didn't just make a bunch of money. And he didn't even just Lose a bunch of money and then make it back. It's not rags to riches, and he's going to talk a little bit about how he went from, from rags to riches to negative rags to even more riches. And he's going to talk about some of the businesses that he owns. I, I do believe he owns all or part of about thirteen, maybe more, different uh, different companies. And he's been an advisor and consultant and mentor to some very very big influential. Uh, business people and leaders, many of whom you may uh, you may know. I don't know if we'll go into who they are yet, but he's somebody that you want to pay very close attention to. I know whenever I get such a strong recommendation from Joe and Matt, I follow it. So instead of reading off a, um, a bio that Marks gave me, I just want to start the conversation. Marks, are you with me?
1: I'm always with you. (laughs) Great. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you. And I'm
1: hoping that we can pick things that are controversial. Yes. And I can give you contrarian views so that everybody disagrees with me and then they get to think about why.
0: I love contrarian views. In fact, I recently started doing something on my show, which is called uh, Wednesday Wisdom, and I spell W I S -S D U M B, which are these like platitudes, like success platitudes that people Mm. throw around on. On um, social media, and you'll see them on Instagram, or you'll see it something like, well, I'm trying to think of one that I, you know, that I just did the other day. Uh, I think it was a quote by Zig Ziglar that says, "Your your, sure. adi- your attitude and not, I'm sorry, yeah, your attitude and not your aptitude will determine your altitude." That is correct. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that sounds great, but it's only half the story because it's saying, yeah, your attitude is everything and not your aptitude. Well, that'll get your foot in the door, but. Your skills and your aptitude to get the job done are, are what's going to keep you there. It's not just, I'm going to keep this guy here because he's got a great attitude all the
1: time. So
0: I try to kind you know, of shine some light and go deeper on some of these.
1: Well, Zig Ziglar, who, you know, I'm a big fan of Zig, read yeah. all his stuff, listened to all his stuff. You know, the, the some of the rumor was that he was not a very good business guy. And then when he died, he didn't really leave a lot of money and wasn't a millionaire
2: mm-hmm.
1: compared to other folks like Jim Rohn, who was very wealthy when he passed away. Napoleon Hill was broke and then he became really wealthy after he got a hold of W. Clement Stone, who you may know um, ended up becoming a billionaire and lived to a hundred. There's a big difference between, you know, motivation and practicality or real life. There Mm -hmm. is this sort of bridge between what we're told, you know, motivators have this capacity to get us excited, but they also got this flaw to tell us what's wrong with us. And then they, they have the solution. And that we're flawed and you know the, the opposite approach to that is we're not flawed we are perfect like a japanese vase you know the japanese they have this interesting culture at least they used to back in the in the day where if a vase was perfect they wouldn't consider it perfect they had to have a chip or some kind of deficiency in the vase because then it made it unique and that uniqueness made it perfect isn't that so like the-
0: diamonds too
1: like yeah, uh, for sure.
0: Because like synthetic diamonds, as I've if, as I've heard, sin- they can make a perfect synthetic diamond, but they know it's not a real diamond because it's too perfect.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting because like I think with well, something like that. Perfection is really it doesn't exist as we know, right? But it's it's the uniqueness that makes us great. I mean, we could take some figures. I can't tell you who I've coached because um, I've NDA some of these people, but I can tell you that. Most of everybody who I've ever communicated with, there's only about a handful of people in my entire life, and I'm 48 now, that I've either coached had the pleasure of being coached by or have hung out with who were pretty rounded, you know, pretty sort of balanced. Most of them are off the spectrum in what my good friend Richard Koch, who wrote the 8 to 20 Principle book, would say called 20% Spike or whatever you want to call it. right? They're really just incredible in this area. And then by definition, they're flawed in almost everything else. Now, if they're smart, they will get something or somebody or some capacity to make sure that they minimize their flaws, right? So they don't leave a lot of dead bodies, like I did my first way around on the road to success. But not all of them do that. So it's it, it's this whole component of, you know, are we really supposed to, you know, take and face value the things that we listen or are we supposed to, you know, incorporate them into our own way of thinking? And Jim Rohn, who I'm a big fan of, um, he had a saying that said, you know, whatever you do, make sure it's a product of your own conclusion, be a student, not a follower. The problem with that is that most people want to follow and not necessarily lead. And as an entrepreneur, a business guy, you got to do both. You got to follow and you've got to lead. And that becomes a really interesting balancing act. I think you and I were talking about a minute ago about, uh, why I think me personally building a business to sell is the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. Right. Yeah. And then I want to go tell into you, that. Right. People will tell you, oh, no, Mark's Brad. This is you know, you have to do it because you'll build your business where it's not dependent upon you and blah, 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 blah. So let me tell you what. Now, this is real life. Right. So the businesses that I've been involved in range from under a million to four billion. And, uh, and the biggest one now that that I'm helping are two businesses combined two billion dollars. I don't own it. The guy that, that owns it is well, a client of mine. And if he was to build those businesses as if he was going to sell it, he never would have gotten to do In fact, none of the guys and gals that I've ever had the privilege of doing any work with ever built their business with the intention of selling it. You know who does that? You know, you tell me, who do you think builds a business, quote unquote, with the intention of selling it? Yeah, nothing comes to mind. Well, what do you think? So let's think about it. So let's say that you and I were like, hey, let's build a business to sell it. Mm-hmm. What is our mindset about that build that business that we're going to build it to well, that, sell
0: it. that we want to get out of it and that mm-hmm. you know we don't we don't want to be it in, in the first place
1: exactly
0: well and uh, along those lines it actually this does make me remember um what a friend of mine told me uh, a guy named Vinny Vinny Fisher um, who I don't know if you've heard of Vinny but um he was on my show a couple of years ago and he actually took. He did. He had the exact same contention with that topic as you do, but he flipped it. And actually, I think this made it make more sense. He goes, don't build a business that you want to sell. Build a business that you would want to buy. So that, That's a
1: better way to look at it.
0: Right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, this yeah. is a business I would buy because it, yeah, it has the systems. It has all this other stuff. Like, oh man, it's got all this stuff in place. I would love to buy this business. And that was kind of a different perspective change because obviously if you're going to build it in a way that you would want to buy it, well then, the the side effect is that somebody else might want to buy it, but that's never the
1: intention. See that? See, I think you nailed it on the head, right? You're so smart. That's exactly right. Because look, you know, I'll tell you my little story how I came up with these four pillars here shortly because I think it's relevant. But you're right. If you build a business, most people build the business that they want to build. They build it for the sake of building it. You know, there does come a point in time where money isn't the objective anymore, and if it may not be in the beginning, right? It's it's challenging work. It's exciting. It's it's fun, it's, you know, it's just, I had a call this morning with a buddy of mine who's got a really successful business, and I said, hey, if you had F you money right now, today, what would you do? And before I could finish, he said, the exact same thing I'm doing now. And I go, come on, you're lying, Ian. He goes, no, I swear to you, exactly, and I believe him, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what you want. So if you do build a business, like you said, that you want to buy yourself, now it's a different mindset, right? Now you're building something of value that you're gonna covet, you're gonna care for. Money's very finicky. You know, money goes where it's more best utilized and where it's also coveted and wanted as employees are, as customers are. And if you're building something to get rid of it, who on God's earth would want to go there? So why do they say that? A, it's probably some Google AdWords, you know, I don't know, algorithm that attracts (laughs) customers and trying to buy you something. That just isn't real life. There's a really big difference between Marketing and practicality in some cases, not yeah, only yeah, a huge one, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and, well, and so, I think it know.
0: is because that's the surface level desire which is escape <clears throat> right and I think yes. that a lot of people yes. get into the uh, I mean, doctors and lawyers are probably the, and dentists are probably the number one thing because they're, you know, if you look at the statistics, they're some of the most depressed people in the world and they are some of the most highly paid and they all end up hating their job. And when you, you, a lot of times you'll go to internet marketing conferences or you'll go to people who are trying to build an online business and there is a plethora of doctors and lawyers and people who feel as though they got sold a bill of goods of, this is the way to success, and they realize they're trapped, so they want to escape. And the same thing happens with entrepreneurs. You start to build a business and now that business owns you, and you're yeah. not necessarily happy. So when somebody comes along and gives that platitude of, uh, no, build it to sell it, they think sell, which means escape, which means exit, and ideally with a bunch of money. But as you just pointed out, that's surface-level stuff, and it can actually do more damage if you build your business like that as opposed to good, right?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I know guys who have built businesses in industries they hated. Like, like, you know, I mean, look, I started my first business in ink and toner. Ink and toner is not exciting. That was not my passion,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? But I built an incredible business because I wanted to build something great. It didn't matter what I did. It could have been selling paper clips. It doesn't matter. I just wanted to build something great. Then I made a couple of choices that almost put me under a couple of times. And we'll talk about that here shortly. But let me give you what I think is really interesting. So, you know, I, so I, I, I go build this business, right? on uh, against competing against staple and office depot and all those guys and we built an incredible business. Then I made two poor choices that just put me almost, almost in the teeter of just never wanting to work ever again, right? It went from making a bazillion dollars to losing a bazillion dollars. And it was all my fault, right? I mean I could blame people, but it really was on me. Then I sat and stuck my thumb for a couple of years going, you know, was it lucky? Was this just a fluke? You know, why me? You know, should I just get a regular nine to five job? you know, maybe I should work somebody else. All these things began to sort of question myself. And then I had an epiphany one day. And by the way, this is not like a two hour, this is like two years, right, of of sucking my thumb. Hmm. Then I had an epiphany one day and thought, you know, if I did it once, I can do it again. What did I do wrong? And what did I do right? Like not, on, like you, you know, I'm gonna use your words, surface level, but at the structure level, right? At the structure of, of what happened, what really, how did I screw it up? Like, you know, how did I go from doing X to doing Y almost overnight? It's not the economy. It wasn't the employees that stole money from me. Sure, those are all factors, but what happened? So I went back and started looking, okay, how did I get there first to begin with? And then what was the opposite? And it turns out that I did the complete opposite of what got me there to begin with. So I nailed it down to three things, strategy, team building, and sales, right? Just these three principles. I had a great strategy. I knew how to build a team, and I focused primarily on sales. So I started going back and I thought, you know, I'm not gonna be victim to the same circumstances they got me the first time, right? I'm gonna change my business model, hence the strategy. I'm gonna do things differently, and I'm gonna grow it so I make twice as much money in half the time, and I don't put myself in the precarious position to get screwed again. So I did it, right? I did it, and all of these people were seeing me go from hero to zero and then back again. And one guy says, hey, you know, I've known him since he was 13 years old. He says, hey, Marks, I see you're doing better now. I thought you'd never get out of it, you know, can you help me? And I thought, sure, I can help you. know, I gave him some advice. And he goes, no, no, you don't get it. I want to pay you to help me build my business the way you've built yours. He goes, I'll pay you $10,000 a month. And I was like, hey, buddy, you don't know, got to pay me. I'll do it for free. I mean, I'm your buddy. He goes, no, 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 no. If I don't pay you, I won't do it. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Right. You know how it is, right? We don't value those things. We don't do them. I said, great. Happy to help you. And he's got an online business completely different than mine. And I'm like, okay. So I went back and thought, okay, let's talk about strategy and team building and sales. And I started to implement all of these amazing things that had turned my life around. And after 30 days, guess what happened?
0: Sorry, I was on mute. (laughs) What what okay.
1: What do you think happened after 30 days?
0: All right, that he didn't do anything. Nothing. After 60 days? Not a damn thing. 90 days? Yeah, same.
1: Okay, how about a year? (laughs) Same. Right. So here's what happened. Right. So I'm like, dude, you got to stop paying me. Whatever, whatever we're doing isn't working. And then we had put the strategy together. We had put the team. I mean, it was beautiful. It wasn't moving. And then one day I had a conversation of come to Jesus, if you would, or heart to heart. And I gave one of my formulas called V2GP2, Vision, Values, Goals, Principles and Price. And so I said, hey, Brad, we'll call him Brad. Yeah. I said, hey, Brad, what's your vision? He gives me his vision. I said, hey, Brad, what's your values? He gives me his values. Hey, Brad, what are your goals? Go for your goals. You know, hey, what principles do you think we need to employ, right? Because those are important, and we list them together. And then I said, okay, well, here's the price you have to pay. Are you willing to pay that price? What do you think his answer was?
0: Well, be only because I've listened to your podcast <laughs> with Joe and Matt, I know that he wasn't willing to pay the price, and that's kind of, uh, that's, I think, the key to the whole thing, right?
1: Yeah. So then I thought, well, dude, if you can't pay the price, and the price wasn't working harder, by the way. See, that's what I think I didn't talk about in Joe's and Matt's. I mm-hmm. didn't talk about what the price was. So let me ask you something. I, mean, I know I'm going to give you the big aha here in a moment that I had, but what do you think the price would be? So let's say we did this with you, right? Yeah. Let's say that you and I spent a few hours. We ran through this formula. Your vision, values, goals, principle. If we get to the price. What do you think the price is going to be? What do I think the price is going to be of? If you and I decided that you want to make more money, have yeah. more time off, fit a better life, right? And then yeah. we painted a vision, your vision. Yes. And then your values, you know, your wife's important to you, friendship, honor, and character, integrity, whatever, right? Sure. And then we thought the goals. Here are the goals you gotta, you gotta hit because the vision is is sort of this big, beautiful idea or or dream you have. And yeah. then the goals are the things you, okay, tactical, together, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then we go, okay, fantastic. So then what do you think the price would be?
0: Well, my, my intuition is that the price is... You know there are certain things I'm going to have to give up, and I'm not even thinking financial price. But I'm going to right. have to act different. I'm going to have to give up stuff. I'm going to have to sacrifice some things that I might value right now that give me pleasure and comfort and safety and, um, and and confidence and do some things that really put me uh, potentially in an uncomfortable place, in a place where I'm doing things that I've never done before and. um and, and struggling through that. And because that is so uncomfortable, I, I know that that's where a lot of people go, no, nah, I don't want to do that, it, it doesn't feel good, it's scary.
1: That's exactly right. You nailed it once again, the nail on the head. That the price is not more work. In fact, in some cases, it's less work, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing that are causing harm to your business or your life. Yeah. The prices change, right? Sort of that uncomfortableness, you know, changing your standards in some things. Now, you know, Zig Ziglar, you mentioned earlier, said you don't pay the price, you enjoy the benefits. Well, that isn't necessarily true. You know, there is pain associated to it, but it's mental pain. Mm -hmm. It's emotional pain. He wasn't willing, right, we uncovered, to pay the emotional pain and the mental pain to become a better business owner, a better CEO.
0: Right. And it's usually not until the other, the pain of not taking that action overcomes the pain of taking that action that people finally decide to change, right? Whether it's, you know, with addiction, it's called rock bottom and other stuff to where it's like, because pain is not fun. We spend our entire lives trying to avoid pain. And, uh, but that's the only way you grow.
1: Well, it's human nature. You know, Freud put the the, uh, pain, pleasure principle and then Tony Robbins familiarized it or or made it more common, right? But, you know, Freud understood. It's human nature, yes. However, you know, success is on the other side of of that. Now, Richard Koch would disagree and say, I don't think Success is on the other side of failure, although Thomas J. Watson would disagree with Richard, right? He started and wrote IBM. It, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not so cookie cutter. What ended up happening was is that we have emotional pain based on fear and based on all these components. He didn't want to get into the unknown. He didn't want to experience the uncertainty and the pain until we figured out how to actually make it pleasurable for him and pleasant once we changed his because you know it's all based on belief system right you know yeah you talked about pain and you know the rock bottom psychologists would call it a significant emotional event right mm-hmm. you know, they, they they used to say that your personality is set until the age of 10 and then after that that's who you are and then they discovered it's not true neuroplasticity you can change but it needs an emotional event that rewires the circuitry right and sometimes that's that's you know rock bottom. Sometimes it's inspiration. You know, W. Clement Stone used to call it inspirational dissatisfaction. Yeah. You know, you're so dissatisfied you get inspired, right? So, whatever you know, and we can, and there's everybody's a little bit different, right? So you know, when I talk to people or I coach them, and we try to get to this threshold of mindset, which is the fourth pillar, by the way, it, it we get there differently, right? So that's what I uncovered. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, these other three pillars: strategy, team building, and sales are are amazing but they're irrelevant unless we talk to mindset and mindset is basically a set of beliefs that drive behavior and you can tell what somebody really believes not by what they say but by what they do absolutely so right i mean because everything else you know if if you know if i tell my dog i love my dog and i keep kicking him that's a pretty (laughs) funny way to show it right Mm -hmm. so anyway long story short we came in and we said okay let's look at it now i looked at it differently now look, I'm an NLP master practitioner. I'm Arizona hypnosis certified. Nice, you know, yeah, I, same here. Yeah. Oh, okay. All that stuff, right? Been done it. You know, whatever. I know Havening. We're gonna have uh, to the founder of Havening on the podcast later tonight for Joe and Matt. You know, and I know EFT. I mean, I know it all. Right. I know all this stuff, right? And everybody's a little bit different. The one thing I can tell you that's worked across the board when we, whenever we want to do this, is we change the behavior set. But how we do it is really unique. So we went back and we said, okay, let's change it. We changed the behavior to implement the mindset. What do you think happened in the next 30 days? Things started to change. Nothing. Oh, really? Nothing. The next 60 days, nothing. By the 90th day, we saw some traction. Mm. Right? Because it takes a little time. And by then, changing, by maybe,
0: changing his behavior, you're saying? Or changing yeah. his mindset first? Changing his all behavior. Of it, all
1: yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a loop, right? If you go to NLP, you and I both know, right? State equals behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Just sort of this, this positive feedback loop or, or negative feedback loop. So we had to change a lot of behaviors because the truth of the matter is, the way you do something, you do everything else. So if you're curt to the waiter, you're gonna be curt to your employee or your, or your customer. You may right. not realize it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't want to admit it, right? They that's, think that you could be an asshole. That's patterns, and, yeah. Right, and you could be an asshole and still be super successful. But you won't be happy, mm-hmm. right? You know, and So when people want ahead.
0: no, I was just gonna say, you know, keep going. I was gonna go on something on that thread, but what you were saying was more important.
1: No, you know, what people what people really want. You talked about those early with doctors and attorneys, and you know, what people really want is happiness. You know, they they want to, ha- and happiness invokes success and achievement and living life on your own terms. But it also involves work. You know, we don't feel good about ourselves unless we work. True. You know. Right. You know, Jim Rohn had a great line, you know, and I and by the way, I'm really I, I'm not name dropping. I just like to give credit where credit is due. Oh, yeah. By all means. Because, um, you know, I know a lot of people that don't. And I had this discussion with a buddy of mine. He says, yeah, but every time you do it, it, it just it it clutters things. And I said, yeah, but my own character. Doesn't not the way you're, not, so the way not, you're
0: doing not the way you're doing it. A okay. totally different story. I mean, a totally different way you're not doing it like this would be like, you know, so I was having dinner with Jim Rohn the other night. Right, my, right, right. My, right he's right, my right. you know, he's my BFF and right, uh, right, right, stuff right. like that, that's that's the humble brag name dropping. But you're just simply, right. yeah, giving credit where it's due. I do the same thing. I,
1: yeah, I just want to give them the source. So if anybody's interested who's listening who wants to go more into it, yeah, hey, there's the source. Knock it, rock it, your, knock yep. yourself out. So Jim said that, you know, he goes, he was talking to a bunch of psychologists according to the story, and he says, do you know what I think most messes with the mind? And they said, oh, pray tell us, Mr. Rome, what do you think most messes with the mind? And he says, when people do less than they possibly can.
0: I think that is my biggest fear. And a lot of my friends, like the biggest thing we fear is simply not living up to what we know we're capable of. That's the biggest sure. frustration point, which is, oh, I did less than I know I could. It's the exact same thing. Like I know I'm capable of more and I just didn't do it. And I think that's a very um, scary. I know for me, it's like one of the things that I'm not scared of a lot of things, but that's I'd never want to look back and think, man, why didn't I just give it more?
1: Yeah, you know, I first heard this from Keith Cunningham, but I don't know who said this originally. I looked it up, I couldn't find it. That hell on earth is meeting the man you could have been.
0: I saw that the other day. Um, exactly, like you, you you, you, die, you go to heaven, and you meet the person that you...
1: Right, Peter you, could have, you, and you're you like, could have been. You uh, could have been. You know, that's sort of hell. And, hell, and, and or hell on earth is meeting that person on earth. Right? Yeah. I could have been that guy. Yeah. So there, there is that. Now there is the other argument, which is, guilt is something you stop feeling at age eight, right? So if you feel guilty about not doing something, that's just silly. So, you know, so this whole capacity of, you know, wanting to escape from a business that you want to build to sell or, you know, living on the beach or whatever, that's great. So long as there's this, you know, maybe not balance, but at least the sort of tension and relaxation that builds, right? You know, there's people talk about stress all the time. What they don't talk about is there's two kinds of stress,
0: you stress and distress. But go Amen.
1: ahead. Amen. <laughs> so you got, no, I mean, I do, you had, that's so why I paused, right? So, you know, distress bad, you stress good. So, you know, you want to minimize distress, although there is a time for distress, then you want to maximize you stress, and you also want to be in a position of idleness. And th- go ahead.
0: No, I was going to just go on that because I, I had a little epiphany not too long ago on that, which is, um, I play guitar. I'm not a great guitarist, but I played for years and I there was a song I wanted to learn and I picked up my guitar and I pulled up the guitar tab online and I was like plucking through it and just going like, "Ah, oh, man, this is um this is hard, and and I and I and it actually made me not I was not enjoying any of this because I can pick up the guitar and I can play some great tunes and it's fun, sure. and et cetera. But now I'm plucking around like a total beginner again to where it would be embarrassing, and I'm wondering, man, am I ever going to get this? And it's frustrating, et cetera, et cetera. But I was just like, no, I'm just going to keep on doing it. And you know, after a couple of days of just practicing this lick, uh, I finally got it, and it started to sink in, and I started to get muscle memory, and I was like, boom, 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 got it. And then it it just kind of dawned on me is how many parallels of that are in like my business where there's a new skill, maybe that I'm yep. trying to learn. Let's say it's as simple as, um, you know, for my audience's sake, it's as simple as I don't know how to run Facebook ads, but I, I wish I, I, I could know. Well, the minute you log into the Facebook dashboard and you're looking at all these things like, man, I don't know where any of this stuff goes. I'm so confused. I, I feel stupid. I feel incompetent. Yep. Right. And I think a lot of us, that's that uncomfortable area is we we want to we you know we go to that place where we feel confident and competent in these areas because it does it makes us feel good and we don't know when we suck at something and we're trying to do it we don't know how long we're going to suck at it we don't know if we'll suck at it forever or not but it's having kind of that fortitude to kind of do it anyway and then this was the key piece for me is it allowed me to when i realized that yeah i've done this all my life with music um as long as I keep at it, I get better. And so as long as I knew that I was doing it, it allowed me to enjoy it. And every single note that I then hit correct became a win. And it wasn't about my win wasn't figuring out the entire song. My win was every note that I that I didn't get wrong. And I was like, boom, that was awesome. That was awesome. So I started to really enjoy the process more. And I try to keep that in mind when I do something new in business that I'm really uncomfortable with That I'm trying something and I feel completely incompetent. It's like, no, just enjoy the enjoy every little step and look at the micro wins and you'll enjoy it more as opposed to making it like
1: I'm either good or I suck at it. So See, and, and that's that's a good analogy. And that is true. I think the mental mental world mirrors the physical world. Yeah. And I think, you know, the difference, look. The difference for me, right, based on, on my experience with others and myself, is when somebody self-imposes motivation, they don't need to be motivated. You're either motivated or you're not. There is no go get motivated. And people, they, they, they look for external components to be motivated, right? And, and you should, look, go to the seminars, read the books, do all that, 100%. But choose the races where you want to compete in. So if you want to build a business, don't build a business that you have to use all willpower to learn and grow. Use a business that builds you stress, not distress. So like for me, I've been a martial artist most of my life, right? And you know, there's people out there who are better than I am by leaps and bounds. But I always put myself up against them so that I can get better, so that I can get challenged. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. Do I hate them? some cases, yes. Do I want to give up? In some cases, yes. But there's something built in inside of me that says, you can do this, go back and get it. So I've learned, whenever that's there, that's a positive sign you should go there. So for example, Facebook ads. I don't do any Facebook ads, obviously it's not a part mm-hmm. of my business. Would I learn them? Sure, I would. Would I be the kind of guy that could continually move forward? Not interested. Why? It would be distressful to me. Yeah, you know, I'm the, the same way side. on
0: those. I'm the same way on those. I, like it now, especially with these smaller skills, I mean, it's, not that it's a small skill, but it's a, it's a smaller skill in the big scheme of things for me is right. I wanna know enough to know the strategy behind it and to be able to recognize who would do a good job at it and a bad job at it
1: right well, that's, no, if we look at the four pillars right mindset strategy team building and sales that's on your team building see the thing yeah. is that when you talk about building a business to sell and i know we've already covered that and that's on how to build it there are four things you just it's what i figured out right in my own opinion obviously four things you just can't delegate Brad. that's just i mean it's it's you cannot delegate your mindset of you and your company. You just can't. Right. If you do, it's disaster. I made that mistake. I can vouch for it. You can't delegate the strategy. If you do, all is disaster. Bender done that, right? So I can vouch for that one. You can't delegate building your team, at least your executive team or your direct reports. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And you can't delegate sales. Yeah. What I mean by that is you still got to put, look, In sales the beginning. cures all. Yeah. It, it, I, I mean, forever, right? I mean, in the sense that you may have salespeople working for you, you may have sales managers, of sales, but you still got to have that pulse on the sales. You got to talk to your customers every now and then. You got to have key metrics to run the business. Sales cures all, That's right? And people get in, they get enamored with things that don't work. They spend all their time on the 80% that produces very little, right? Mm-hmm. They don't look for the vital few, as Durant would say. And so, but when you look at these four pillars, for example, and you, you come through the grips of, look, I'm an entrepreneur or want to or a business owner or CEO or whatever. Hey, man, if I just look at my business through these four different pillars and I can't delegate to these, now you've begun to become responsible. And now, like you said earlier, you know, maybe at the beginning you've got to do the Facebook ads because it's just you. But then when you want to scale, right? Okay, well, who can I get that's better than me? Right, who can I get that loves this? Yeah, exactly. Like they they live and eat and sleep, right, Facebook ads. You know, and and, and look, the other component of it is some people are designed to grow a business to a certain level and then they become, not only, we all, the Peter Principle, right? We all rise to the level of our own incompetence. Mm -hmm. They don't change, they don't grow. That's the point where they should get themselves out of the business or really sell it. Yeah. If they don't wanna change and grow.
0: Exactly. Well, and and it's okay if you recognize that's about yourself and then you set up something to mitigate it so it doesn't do you damage, so that it doesn't get you to a point where you can no longer be effective and then you run it into the ground. But like you said, there's a lot of people who are great at starting up a company and that's why a lot of founders, whether it's tech or something else, they they start it up, they get it to a certain point and then they have to hire as they should – a good board of directors, CEO, like Larry Page and Sergey Brin brought in, uh, what's his name? Tim, Sh- is it Tim Schmidt or th- who's a CEO? Tim Schmidt. Schmidt, right? Yeah, Tim Sh- Because yeah. they were, they're the engineers, they're the other stuff, and they kind of recognized early on that, listen, just, the per- you know, I may not be the person to take this through the finish line, but it's okay if you realize that and then you go try to build that, like you said, find the person who's like super, super good at at that area. And do what you're yep. really, really good at.
1: But 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 they still can't delegate, in my opinion, they still can't delegate, or let me phrase that, they can't abdicate or delegate those four pillars. No. You know, one of the one of the few guys and uh, that I think did this at the most massive scale we've ever seen was Steve Jobs. Steve was a yeah. great guy that started a business, but then Scully and those guys were like he was running into the ground because he wasn't a good manager. So they fired him, as you and everybody knows, right? Because we've all known his story. Yeah. He went and did, you know, uh, Next and then Pixar or whatever. And then they brought him back to save the company. But he had worked on himself. He had transformed his, you know, his mindset, if you would, and became the kind of person that could grow to Apple to what it is today. Or, you know, first company now, that it's both Apple and Amazon, but uh, first company hit a trillion dollars in value. And that's not because of Tim, who's also, you know, Tim, the CEO of... Um, Of Apple, but because of what Steve Jobs did. I mean, he he set in place. He built a company that he wanted to build because it was the greatest company on earth. Now, most of us on your podcast are probably not going to build a trillion-dollar company, (laughs) but we could build a five million, ten million. You know, maybe maybe they're doing one million now. They can get to five, right? I mean, it's one thing is that you know I think we look at. Society and heroes and we look at all these celebrities which only account for three percent of millionaires by the way Yeah, if all the millionaires in the entire US They're only the most are celebrities. Does, it, that's the point. Yeah, right it's, But it, it does harm it does it does a terrible thing for entrepreneurs because most entrepreneurs most millionaires are Salespeople executives and business owners in that order. Yeah Well, and it's, and, you know, it's I mean, almost
0: like that book. Have you ever read the millionaire next door? years ago sure of course right yeah. where it's like the 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 car the average millionaire drives is a Ford f150 right
2: or a Ford At Brainer- the time it was, anyway yeah exactly
0: but yeah. it's it's because those are the it's the unseen ones they're not out there snapping you know doing you know Instagram shots in front of their Lamborghini
1: no look I mean and again those are great marketing guys and you know <laughs> I don't you know Whatever, whatever, right? But look, you know, in in the real world that I live in, right? Because you know, I don't live in the Instagram world right. or the Twitter world, though I do love it and I and I visit it frequently and stuff. You know, I live in the world where you know we actually produce results with money. And you know, my I have a Mercedes, but it's paid for. I bought my car, right? You know what I mean? Do I? Can I? Could I buy a Bugatti? Sure. Do I want a Bugatti? Not really. It's more fun to, to know to... that you
0: can buy one, <laughs> yes. than, than to actually have one. But, actually, you know, we actually. Good. Uh, I was just gonna say, I'm hoping. Cross your fingers. Tomorrow, a guy's coming to look. Uh, a few years ago, I bought an Audi R8, and I loved it. I had fun. Oh, love it. But uh, I'm ready to sell that thing. I have been for a while because it, just like anything, hedonic adaptation comes around, and you're like, oh, okay, right. now it's just a car. And um, and uh, he's about to buy it. People are like, why are you selling that thing? It's like I'd much rather have the cash in my pocket than you know, and know I could buy it again.
1: Of course. You know, look, so. it's. it's- you know, I, look, I went through that phase too, right? I, You know, when I, I wanted a Rolex, when I could afford a Rolex, I didn't yeah. want a Rolex. And then when I couldn't afford it again, I bought it, which is kind of weird, right? So, I mean, we all go through that phase, right? And I think it's it's important, but right? If you're chasing the Lamborghini now, as long as it makes you a better person and you find a way to afford it and you produce value in order to get it, rock and roll, right? Yeah. Go for it. If you're stretching beyond your means to get it, it's okay if you're the kind of person that having it now it motivates you even more to do better. That's what but those are rare few between. Look, you know, people who build these businesses build the business for the sake of building the business. And money becomes a way to keep score. It's am I getting better? Mm-hmm. Am I getting really good at doing this kind of stuff? You know, passion's overrated. I love Tony Robbins, but this whole thing with passion, eh bullshit. You know, even Mark Cuban I hope, sorry, I cursed. I hope even Mark Cuban will tell right. you. Yeah. Okay, even Mark Cuban will tell you it's 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 overrated. You can be a passionate person, but you don't have to be passionate about what you do. You know, how you do something is infinitely more important than what you do.
0: Right. You can be, you can bring passion to pretty much anything, even if you're not passionate about that thing externally. You're, but you're passionate about doing a good job, about uh, achieving a result, about giving it yes. your all, as opposed to, oh, I'm passionate about um, whatever topic. And you're, you're absolutely yeah, and right, I, it's what you bring, it's not what you find. Exactly.
1: And I think, I think even passion was probably the wrong word. Mm-hmm. I think resolve might be better, resolute, resilience. You know, uh, there's a book called Grit, although I think, I think Angela Duckworth got it wrong. Um, you know, it, it's, when, you're, when you were practicing your guitar, you had not passion about the song, you had resolute, you, had, yeah. you were resilient, right? You had determination, you know, Napoleon Hill would call it desire you know, which is a starting point of all achievement according to Napoleon Hill, and I think he's, he's right. So you could be that kind of person. A lot of guys and gals I know, and some of companies I own a piece of, they're not passionate about their business, but they're resolute about doing something great. They have resilience, they have resolve. Some are very insecure, mm-hmm. you know, they, they get motivated because, you know, they, they they don't think they're good enough. So they're always trying to up themselves to the next one. And that's okay if it's healthy. You know, you know I think
0: I, I think passion and interest. I mean, I think they can be sometimes sure. like, you know, they're saying find your passion, uh, build a business around your passion. And really, I think what they're saying is build a business around something you're interested in, because there's an interest doesn't have as much emotional pull. Right. As the word passion. But you can bring passion to something you're interested in. Ideally, I mean, I think that's that's an intensity and resolution to something you're really interested in. And that's, I think, maybe the holy grail is if you can make a lot of money, make a big impact, have a lot of success in something that you could just do all day, even if it was for free. But you can do the same thing to stuff that you're you're not really interested in. Like you said, office supplies. You're not, yeah. you're not highly interested in office supplies, but you can bring your passion, your grit, your intelligence, and all of this other stuff to selling office supplies because that's simply a vehicle that gets you to where you want to be.
1: There's, there's many ways, right? I mean, you, to your point, there's many ways to get there. So a friend of mine who taught me how to speed read, a guy named Steve Snyder, world's second fastest speed reader. In fact, I'm going on to on, have him on your podcast if you care to. He's a good guy. Nice. He's the one that actually mentored David Allen early in the career. Uh, David Allen from Getting Things Done is a good friend of mine. And he told David Allen, there's only two problems in the world. Either you don't know what you want or you know what you want, but you don't know how to get it. So he tells me an interesting story. He says... When he was in college, and he's, and he's sort of a, a, a geeky, nerdy looking guy. He's not a jock, you know, so he's not like uber popular with the girls when he's in college. And he says, you know, I'm in college and I was taking physics. And he goes, I hated physics, hated physics. And I wasn't passionate about physics. He goes, but I had to take the course and I wanted to get a good grade. He goes, so I, I made up a fake girl in my mind and she was the ideal woman, just perfect and beautiful. And she didn't know physics. So she comes to me. This is what he tells me. She comes to me and says, oh, Steve, I don't know physics. I don't want to fail the class. Would you mind teaching me physics? So when he began to study physics and read physics, in his mind, he now had an interest because he had to teach this beautiful girl so she could pass physics. And of course, he ended up loving physics and ended up getting one of the highest grades in the class and to this day still loves physics. So I think if you have to do something that you don't like, you know, you have a choice. You can either bitch about it, moan about it, or you can create the attitude of per your Zig Zig record earlier today, or the mindset to how do I find this interesting? So when I started one stop, you know, selling ink and toner, I hated cold calling and I hated, you know, ink and toner, but it's the only thing I knew at the time. I had left, I dropped out of law school, took a job, got fired, started the company. I was like, man, I, this is terrible. But I loved people and I loved getting people. I loved teaching things, right? At the time, I loved teaching things and I loved helping people make a lot of money. So I, I didn't make it about the toner, I made it about teaching guys and gals how to make a ton of money working for me. And I created a couple of millionaires, right? And I, and I, and I revolutionized the selling industry and all that stuff. So it wasn't about ink and toner. It was about, you know, I'm going to, I love doing this. This is interesting to me. And the, of course, the result was we grew, we all made a lot of money. And the customer got the best product at the best price and the best service, right? Cause that's what we had to do in order to keep this company going. In order to teach them how to sell, they had to give service. So I found a way to make something I didn't find interesting, interesting to me. And then I found the way to utilize what I thought were my core competencies at the time um, to make it pay off. So, you know, do you know where the word that entrepreneur came from by definition?
0: Um, I wanna say I've looked up the route Definition of it, but I cannot remember it exactly offhand
1: Okay, so it was I don't remember who actually coined the term, but it was a French in the back in the 1600s and it, The word basically means moving resources from a place where they're not really getting good use to a mm-hmm. place where it gets better use So let's think about that for a second. So if an entrepreneur is basically somebody who Reallocates resources right for the short definition. Yes, then shouldn't you reallocate the resources in your brain also?
0: That's a good point.
1: Isn't it? So, you know, here I am, right? Let's say that I started a company, I'm one of your listeners and I started a company that I'm just now not happy with it, right? So, you know, and and I'm like, oh my, you know, my industry sucks, my company sucks, you know, whatever this sort of, you know, negative loop is, right? Well, you could be a complainer about it and whine, that's one way, or you could be an entrepreneur, and actually think, well, what am I enjoying in life now? You know, how do I reallocate my mindset so that I add value? You know, what are my core competencies? Maybe I'm really good with people and I suck at online stuff. So maybe let me go build a team. Let me go, you know, motivate. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe I suck with people, but I'm really good online, right? Then how do I make my business help my core competency so that it grows? You know, it's, it, a business that have a DNA, right? Just like you and I have DNA. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the DNA of a, of a business, when you add your own special mix, you change that DNA. And if you add your strength to that DNA, you now have a better mechanism, a better organism. If your DNA is negative, you have a weak, sick, uh, organism. I'll give you a, an example. So, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry for being verbose and- No, and I love like, it, not, but, hit it. So, you know, we go, and we take two months off, right? We have a dog. We've got a Doberman who's about nine years old now, named Zeus. Beautiful dog, right? So we we like okay, we're gonna go and we leave, right? For two months. In one month, my mother-in-law stays in the house and watches the dog. Next month, he's boarding. We come back, right? You know, we come back from uh, doing a little work at the White House, and we come back and we go pick up the dog, and he is emaciated. He is on his deathbed. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm like, he's good. I tell the kids, hey, it looks like Zeus has hit his uh, his deathbed.
2: Mm.
1: He might, you know, my boy's about to go to college. My daughter's starting eleventh grade. I'm like, we're about to lose our dog. You know, he's nine. So you know, for a big dog it's early, but it's expected, right? So then I'm like, and I told the kids, and he's 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 got arthritis, and he's all leaning forward, and we take him for walks, and he's not his usual peppy. I mean, the dog's on his deathbed, no joke, right? So I told my wife, I said, look, maybe it's not that he's going to die. Maybe it's that he was neglected, much like many businesses. Maybe I, I didn't want him because I was going on our vacation, which is true. I was like, ah, oh, I got to deal with the dog, right? So my attitude was negative about the dog. You know, he's a dog, he senses this. So I said, let's start walking him two or three times a day. Let's bring him inside the house a little bit throughout the day, because we got a pretty big backyard, that's where he lives. And let's give him an all meat and fat diet. We're, we're carnivores, we're big on that. Mm-hmm. And let's see what happens. So we got back August 16th or something. How do you think the dog is today?
0: Oh, probably like a puppy.
1: Exactly like a puppy, right? He had some kind of sore in his butt, gone. He had some allergic stuff on his on his skin, gone, almost gone. Um, he's happy, he's enthusiastic. He, now I didn't get there right away. The first third, you know, three weeks was really, he just looked like he was in pain. Now he's a totally different dog. Did the dog change? Of course he changed. But what changed first was how we treated the dog, how we saw the dog. So you, as an entrepreneur, I mean your listeners, you and I and everybody included, guess what? Your business is just like my dog was. It's a reflection of your attitude towards it. If you don't like it, it's your problem. Yeah. If it's sucking, it's you. If it's crushing it, it's, I hate that word, crushing, I think it's overused. <laughs> yeah, it's a way it's, overused. It's, yeah, right, if it's doing really well, it's you. Whatever, your business is a reflection of you. If you change you, your mindset, like my very first client, man, I'm telling you, it's like that takes off. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. You give it a couple of weeks, give it a couple of months, you'll feel better, but eventually it starts to change. Does that mean you're not gonna have any problems? Nope, you'll have bigger problems. In fact, one of my mentors, Peter Daniels, said, Success is the ability to handle pain, not be a pain, but handle pain, right? And he meant emotional physical pain, like we sure. talked about earlier. So, so you know, so, so it, it, if people look at tactics, like, oh, you know, if I could change my tactics, I know a guy who I will mentor who's got a really successful online course, sold thousands, thousands of them. Only 0.01% of those who have bought his course have become millionaires.
0: Yeah, and it's probably only 1% have even applied what he's done, and probably only 10% have even gone through the
1: course. Hey, look, you know what? It's exactly right. Like, you know, I, I have I have story after story of people who aren't intelligent by, you know, norm standard to become millionaires, and people who are really smart who are still broke and unhappy. The difference is the behavior they engage in and the attitude that they engage in. You know, but one of my very then Don Schminka was one of my very first business co- first business coaches David Allen in 2001. Then like hired this guy Don I came in for a day. I was making seventeen thousand dollars a month net profit. A half a day with him and my staff. By the end of the day, I was making thirty eight thousand dollars net income before taxes, net profit in a half a day. What do you think he changed, or what do you think he uh, influenced?
0: Your behavior and
1: attitude. That's exactly right. Right, you know it,
0: so, that kind of brings me. It, it's very topical because I I had two people recommend this book to me, and I just started reading it. I think yesterday. So I am I am according to Kindle I'm only fifteen percent of the way through, but I love it. <laughs> but it's called Why Willpower Doesn't Work by sure. Benjamin Hardy, and one sure. of the and one of the key things he talks about in this is how and you haven't really brought it up here, but I mean it all flows into it. But he talks about how what you can do is really based upon your environment and not your willpower how it really kind of all starts there because there are so many things that uh in our environment that either kind of block us or yes throw us in other ways and from reading the table of contents and the description he goes in to talk about how to kind of hack your environment to set up like automatic triggers like listen if you want to change your behavior do certain things in your environment so that your behavior automatically changes without you having to do willpower. And the most simple example is, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, clean out your damn cupboards from all the junk food. If it's not there, if your environment doesn't have it, it's it, that's a little hack. And as he starts to go through this, I mean, he's obviously talking about behavior and everything else, but he's like, this is why. Sure. He goes, people don't understand how much of this stuff influences them. And by setting the right environment, um, you'll be able to, you know, make some of these decisions automatic and not think about it, and um, that's what will kind of influence your behavior. And as your behavior changes, your attitude probably will change, you sure. know, along with it because you'll be developing skills and confidence. Well, you and I and would would
1: classify those as anchors. Yes, right. You you're just changing. You're collapsing the anchors of your environment and creating new anchors, right? Yeah. So I'm going to blow your mind with something. I hope, right? Because you know, one of the guys I know who's 86 now, and I think he's a billionaire. He won't tell me, but I'm pretty sure he's a billionaire. He owns the second largest reserve of gold bull in in Australia. The guy Peter Danston. Do and, uh, you know, so he's and, and he's one of my favorite people of all time because he's got three beautiful kids, eight grandkids. So he's not only successful monetarily, he's just an incredible human being in terms of a friend, father, you know, he's a role model, right? I've, I've met very few like that in my life. He's probably one of the guys I've met, probably the only guy I've ever met who's got so much control over his own brain. And he was an illiterate bricklayer at age 26 right this guy is i mean yeah no dude the guy was crazy right so anyway so he tells me that the the key to his success was willpower and he and he he tells me he goes look man i did i use my willpower so i thought i was thinking about willpower so i'm going to break it down for you will is the conscious mind power is the subconscious mind Willpower exists effortlessly when the conscious mind is able to tell the subconscious mind what to do, so it becomes automatic. So for example, in your case, with your book and your environment, you are, in, by definition, using willpower. And I've read all books on willpower that I can get my hands on, right? Because you're reprogramming or reconditioning or whatever you want to call it, your subconscious mind, so it now makes a different, better choice. What he may be referring to is when you're battling, right, do I eat the cookie yes. in the cupboard? yes well it's okay right now if you change the identity by the way on the four logic five logical levels of of change if you change the identity you no longer want to eat that cookie like for example you know when i was a vegetarian what was i thinking i don't know but when i was a vegetarian at the time i just didn't even couldn't contemplate eating meat when i was a pescatarian you know i mean my identity this is who i am blank i am x therefore these choices aren't available to me. The problem with today is that we don't identify ourselves in certain ways, and we have to then use our mental energy to make choices. Do I eat the cookie or not? And then that battle inside your mind depletes your willpower, your energy, and now when you go do the important stuff, you have none of it.
0: One hundred percent, and it's you know, and I, and, you know, kind of along this whole concept which you're familiar with, I've you know, the, the whole logical levels like in NLP sure. of environment at the bottom, identity at the top, et cetera. Correct. Where if you know the most effective way to create change is to at the identity level, right? The yes. identity it cascades down. Identity yes. changes your beliefs and behaviors and all go that up other
1: too. stuff. It can also cascade up, right? right? It goes either way.
0: Right, but so in the way, at least the way that I've noticed it is that the the most effective, but the hardest to change. Like the hardest thing to really change is your. Uh, your identity because it, it sounds easy, but it, it can be really hard to do because there's all this subconscious yes. wiring going on
2: Yep, but
0: yep. it can go up the other way, right? So the if the easiest to change is your environment and then your behaviors, etc It also is the hardest you got to crank that wheel the hardest. It's not gonna it's not as effortless But when you are facing those issues they're like man, I know I should be doing this I just don't know how I can't change my identity. All right. We'll start at the bottom you know or start at the top if you can but it's kind of find your find that area you're stuck and if you can change your identity like you know for instance in the weight loss field it's like if you can start to see yourself i'm not i'm not fat i'm not overweight i'm a healthy skinny person i just you know i have a few extra pounds on me but i'm a healthy skinny or you know fit athlete you're going to start yeah. acting like one more effortlessly well, the, 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 the,
1: than you will agree, the subconscious mind, you know, this, it's weird, because the subconscious mind doesn't distinguish between past future, it only lives in the present. Yes. That's why affirmations are I am or I'm doing or you know, it's in the present tense, right? Because, you know, it just there's no past, which is why you know, if you look at the book by the Rudens, it's why the past is always present, right? It, mm-hmm. And but how, how to get rid of the past with psychosensory therapies, which we should do by all this should do something of that nature. It doesn't you know the subconscious mind doesn't understand. Anything other than the present. So when you give it affirmations with emotion, right? Because you can't just go, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. That doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? You gotta go, I'm happy, I'm elated, I love my life. Yeah. Then your brain goes, Oh, you do? Okay, great, let's make that reality because of cognitive dissonance, right? And of course, confirmation bias. You start looking for things to confirm what you've already said, and your brain goes, Well, we're well, supposed to be happy, so we have to behave happy. But here's the here's the, the, the challenge where that argument has a, sort of falls apart for me. Is it, my own personal experience in studies. If you make your environment too easy, then you don't increase your self-esteem, and mm-hmm. self-esteem, as we know by Maxwell Maltz, you know, cybernetics, and a bunch of other books, really is almost kind of like identity and spirituality mixed together. So, what? Ha- let me give an example. So, let's say that you want to lose weight, although I'm pretty sure you're pretty fit, but it's an example you gave. And let's say that your wife doesn't, and so there's. Cookies in the cupboard because you guys haven't agreed on this. She wants cookies, you don't. Well, the, the the argument would be, well, get rid of the cookies, honey. You know, let's do it so I don't have to the temptation of it." Cool. That's one way to go. What I like to do is put those frickin' cookies in the cupboard, because it gives me a chance to go, nope. And every time I go, nope, it's a win. My self-esteem goes up a notch. And now that, is my work power gets strengthened.
0: that is true. That is true. Because I recently just like I recently just lost like fifteen pounds by changing years my years. diet and getting back into the gym, um, pretty heavily. And I just remember every time I would go out and I would, like the, uh, the uh, tortilla chips would come, tortilla chips and right. salsa before the meal. I would look at them and every time I I just said no and I and I I would look at them and I said no and I didn't have one. I kind of had that little like yeah like look yes. at me go buddy. I, I rule exactly so yeah there's one thing yeah if you can be powerful enough to where you can make that choice and then it just kind of feeds on each other it just shows you that you are stronger um i want to i want to kind of uh I, I wrote some stuff down i kind of want to digress or, or segue onto a couple other things uh I'm crossing a couple of things off that you said this is cool i i, I literally could do this all day but um I wrote this down because you had mentioned something about we were talking about the root of the word entrepreneur and somebody who organizes resources and does all that. um, You know, takes a little less risk, organizes resources, allocates resources to where you know they fill supply and demand. And it was really funny. I bring this up a lot when I'm talking to whether it's clients or I think about it in sales copy. This concept of a dominant emotional release, right when. Kind of, you say something to your audience that you say it as good or better than they could say it themselves, and you hit the sure. nail on the head, and they're just like, "Oh my God, we're that's exactly it." So it was May of two thousand nine, and I had been in business for myself, an online business, for about a year, maybe, and uh, I was at a conference, and I remember who I was talking to and where I was at, and I told her, you know, I here I was just you know working in my underwear every day, just you know selling info products and doing mm-hmm. everything myself. And I remember telling her, I was like, you know, I just, I'm frustrated because I, you know, we're all calling ourselves or I'm calling myself an entrepreneur. And yet I'm doing everything myself and I feel as though I'm playing entrepreneur. Like I'm just playing the role, but I'm not doing what an entrepreneur does. And I I had that just momentary, um, like realization, like, yeah, I'm calling myself that, but I'm not. I'm putting lipstick on a pig. Right. And it was funny because the next day, uh a guy that I had followed and he's he's still active today. I don't know if you know who Rich Shefrin is, but um, Rich wrote a an email that went out and the subject line literally said, are you playing in quotes business, Brad? Mm-hmm. And I went on to read it and he was literally, he was, he was espousing the benefits of understanding like you need to build systems, treat it like a business, you know, build a team, build systems that your team can follow and don't just go out there and just hustle for you know, promotion after promotion, which is what most people are doing. And I mean, I made I immediately bought whatever he was selling. I didn't even have to like read the sales page. But it was one of the things that, um, and I've and I have found myself getting into this trap multiple times throughout the past decade. And I at least I can recognize it. Sure. Which is, dude, you're playing entrepreneur. And I think a lot of us do that is we because we work for ourselves. We think, oh, I'm an entrepreneur.
2: Eh,
0: are, you? are you? Are you a freelancer? Are you just you know, working yourself to the bone. Um, And one of the areas that you talked about is the team building. It has still been a very hard part for me to let go, to build a team and to sometimes build that team even before I can fully employ them, right? And keep them.
1: I lost you, buddy. Can you hear me?
0: Brad, you there? I am here. Can
1: you still hear okay, me? Okay, good. I lost. Yeah, cool. now I can hear you. Sorry about that. All right.
2: So
0: I, I'm just remarking down what point this was, 57 minutes. So, okay, we just had a little bit of audio difficulty, but we're back. So hopefully, Mark, you heard me saying that, you know, I catch myself doing this with yes. like team building, right? So uh, sometimes it's, I'm going to tell you, uh, like, just this little micro epiphany I had not too long ago, which was... Um but the problem is do i do I hire the people now, even before I can afford to a fully employ them and b make sure that i 'm going to get my ROI out of them, or do I wait until I have to hire them <laughs> and, and then try to fill it at the last minute, which can cause a lot of dissonance? but as a consultant so i 've got multiple things I do, but my primary my current primary active income is in consulting, people pay me as an sure. advisor, et cetera. And I got really used to having that hundred percent profit margin as a consultant, right? I mean, not a hundred percent, but you know, if I get a referral yeah, business, hundred percent, right? Yeah. And then my little epiphany was, wait a minute, ninety-nine percent of businesses, you know, operate at a very at a you know at a profit margin. I mean, a twenty percent profit margin in any business is relatively healthy. I think we, you know, a lot
1: of businesses. Well, the average the average should be forty, and the net is seven, right? So the, the right. average gross profit is about forty percent. I'm talking the about net profit net margin. Income. Yeah, yeah, well, that's seven. Net yeah, is seven. Exactly.
0: That's why I'm saying so like 20 is, 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 is really, yeah. really healthy, right? Yeah. So, and as a consultant, I realized I started doing a lot myself and I would start to, you know, not necessarily hire team members when I could have. And it wasn't until I stopped and reminded myself, like quit acting, you know, why don't you treat this like a real business and engineer a profit margin in so that, you know, if you get a client, you don't get to keep 100% of that, you have to. If you have to engineer a 50% profit margin, for instance, then that other money has to go back into the business to either staff up, grow, expend on marketing, et cetera. And it it just by realizing that and shifting my perspective there of what I was doing, it made it a lot easier to let go of the reins, to start to hire people, to start to invest back in my business, because I I caught myself thinking, oh, this is all mine, 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 and um, that was one little epiphany I've had in the past year that's helped me kind of break this constant habit of holding onto the reins too tightly.
1: So, I mean, obviously that's fear, right? That's yeah. what's happening. But so let me, I look at it differently. First of all, I, I think all those approaches are fine if they work for you, but I also think they're wrong if you're approaching it from a different level. Let mm-hmm. me tell you what I mean by that. So let's assume... Let's assume you're a client of mine, right? Like, hey, Mark, so I, I did great, fantastic, let's go rock and roll. So we talk about the mindset, we focus on that a little bit. And I and I, I check on and I poke and throughout the entire relationship. Let's say we're on track and everything's good on your mindset. And now you're like, hey, you know, I got this, this issue about, you know, do I hire? And I would go stop. What is the purpose of having a team?
0: The purpose of having a team is, you know, in my opinion, is to be able to more effectively and and effectively achieve a goal
1: and quicker and more efficiently the only purpose of having a team is to execute your strategy right period that's it so i would ask you before you hire anybody else what's the strategy yes and then we would talk about that right one of the four pillars and you and then we would beat that strategy up and you may realize holy crap i have the wrong strategy that's why I didn't want to hire Susie, and I thought it was being a one-uper Purdue, But in reality, subconsciously, I was resistant because X, Y, and Z. There's a, who knows, right? The purpose. But look, the only reason you need to hire anybody ever, and I, and I see a guy now who's succeeding really well in your space. I won't tell you who he is, online mm-hmm. marketing. But now he's thinking about hiring a team and this, that, and the other. i like, oh, he's going to ruin it. He's he's going to kill this profit margin, and he's going to. I don't know if he'll continue to grow in revenue. He may well grow in revenue. But he's, gonna, he's about to get in the world of hurt because he's, he's hiring for the wrong reasons. Mm. He's hiring for the sake to solve a problem. You know, I don't want to do this anymore, so I'm going to hire Susie. Or, you know, I want to dump my business. I'm going to hire Johnny. Those are all the wrong reasons. I see this happen all the time. Uh,
0: yeah, because they're hiring to just take workload off of them as opposed to
1: more effectively execute the strategy. It's all about the strategy, my friend. And yeah. the strategy is pretty simple, as you know, right? Who's the enemy? What's the terrain? How do we win? And then you deploy the tactics right? And then you go, well, okay, so who do I need to do what? Oh, okay, got it. So I need to hire a person that can do this. So now you're hiring somebody that's going to help you execute the strategy, which means you're going to make more money. Because if you don't have a strategy to make your money, you're going to be a derelict, right? So then you don't have this fear anymore of I'm holding onto the reins too tight. I don't want to invest the money. You're like, no, 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 no. This is what I want to achieve. This is my strategy, which is a good strategy. I need someone to do this. Otherwise, I can't execute the strategy. Look, if you got... If you've got great strategy and a mediocre team, you're screwed. If you have a mediocre strategy and a fantastic team, they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But you got to have a strategy for them to look at, right? You are the chief strategic officer. You cannot delegate that. And then when you, when you have the team, because think of it this way. I mean, I've read and so have you, right? We've read so many books and gone to courses and seminars on how to hire and fire. I mean, it's it's like vomiting, right? It's like, oh my gosh, it's so stupid. I finally dawned on me after hanging out with the world's highest paid consultant who gets paid a million dollars a day. That's where I learned this stuff from, right? <laughs> and uh, I was like, duh, he's like, look, man, if you got the right strategy, hiring is really easy because now you know what you need. So you go, hi, my name is Marks. Nice to meet you, John. Can you do this? If you can do this better than anybody else, you're hired. If you can't, Fuck off! I don't need you. Oh, sorry, my language. You know, bugger off! I don't need you. Right. So now it, it, it hiring becomes really easy and simple, and now you're confident. Anyways, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, that's. I was just going to say that. Yeah, that's. It's simple but brilliant, and it's a uh, it's a it's a frame of mind that I know that I haven't. It hasn't been forefront of my mind, but it will be. With, and I and I really do love that of how, you know, what you know. Why are you hiring? It is for the team. To I'm sorry. The, To execute the strategy, strategy. it's not to relieve your workload.
1: That is correct, and I think
0: that that's a a, one of those things that it makes so much sense the minute you hear it, and yet you don't hear that very
1: often. It's it's one of those things because you know inside your look. It's the I love Tim Ferriss. I don't know him personally, but you know he's he's great. Read his book, loves his books. But there's a lot of flaws with his books, Mm -hmm. right? Particularly the the four hour work week because it's escape. You know, and, and look, he sold a ton of books. What he did for the industry is amazing and he's touched a lot of people and I'm grateful because I love his stuff. However, you know, I don't agree with the fact that you hire people to eliminate your workload. That's the dumbest thing you can do as an entrepreneur because you're just now because the the, the whole the whole concept or the idea is, well, if I hire someone to do what I don't like, I'll do more of what I'm good at. Baloney. That is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. You're going to watch TV, tinker off or make up a bunch of other needless baloney stuff that you're gonna occupy your mind with, you're not gonna make more money. You're just, you're just getting rid of a pain that you think you're having. That's silly. The best way to do it is to sort of ascend yourself intellectually and mentally and emotionally is, you know, is who do I hide's that's gonna add value now that I know what value adding looks like. Yeah, and what value you need what value the company needs yes based on the strategy right and then you go okay well this better move sales better move the needle because if it doesn't move the needle in sales they're irrelevant look i don't have any employee or have had any employer any of the companies i'm involved in where i can't honestly tell you that we don't get an roi from them now look i mean i don't run all the 13 companies whatever have you right but you know but it's it, it's all about what are they bringing to the value if you hire me and i work for you as, as whatever right in your organization if i can't make you more money why on god's earth would you keep me yeah what so, so i can take away stuff you don't want to do that's idiotic unless of course you're already financially independent then it's great by all means rock and roll if you like, want to
0: hire me to talk to you and be your friend awesome
1: go for right, it right you know cool super like you know we have and, and not just me, you know, my, my, my household. I mean, you too, you know, all your listeners, we have gardeners, people cut our hair. And, and, you know, you do things so you don't have to garden your own garden if you don't like it, or I understand that. And your business though, come on, man. You have a responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to your stock owners, which aren't you, by the way, it's your wife or your husband or your children or whomever, right? A, a duty to do the best you can. So, you know, it stop trying to work less for the sake of working less you want to work less so that you can create white space or you know um you know clear head, as david allen would say right clear space so you can think
0: yeah well and that's like you mentioned richard Koch, and it's it's that he doesn't he spend a whole lot of time in thinking contemplation and uh you know working very little of the traditional types of work versus how much he thinks
1: Richard works an hour a day, he looks at investments, Mm -hmm. and then he makes choices. And he has, you can read his book, The Star Principle and how he picks it. And, or you can read the new version of the 80-20 principle on, um, which basically means he just picks a network industry. So absolutely. But Richard also has 20 years.
0: Yeah, you don't start off working one hour a day.
1: He's got 20 years of management consultant, where he honed his skill, right? As a strategic advisor, so he, he didn't just one day decide to stop. The man already had built the chops to know what he was doing. So you, know, you can't be an entrepreneur and decide one day, unless you're a unicorn, that you're gonna work one hour a day and make a million dollars. It's just not gonna happen. That's yeah. why you need to have an interest or be interested in something like you talked about to move forward. What you can do is realize that it is true that 80% or thereabouts, most of what we do is useless. Now, if you're learning, it's not useless. If you're figuring something out, it's not useless. What you do need, and you talked in my opinion, I, sh- I shouldn't be preaching. I'm sorry. What what is a good thing to do is to step back and think, get away from it. You know, you want to change. Here's why you want to change your environment is because your brain is yelling at you, and you think you have too much to do. And so, if you go on vacation, all those anchors, all those negative associations aren't there anymore. The waddles, the water settles, and your brain now can be creative. Because we need to be creative, right? We have to create something. So it's, it, if you're gonna hire somebody, it's to solve, not a problem, but to solve the strategic lack that you can't execute.
2: I love and if that. you're gonna
1: stop, right? If you're gonna stop doing work, it's so you can think more, right? It's not so you can avoid work. If you wanna look, if, if your job, if your aim, I don't mean you, right? I mean, if, yeah, if I somebody's mean. aim, okay, if someone's aim is to work less and achieve more, you know, buddy, you're going to have a hard time. If your work is to live, if your aim is to live an awesome, exciting life, one that's filled with all the things you want, whether that's chilling on the beach, whether it's, you know, flying first class world like we did, it doesn't matter, right? Then you're in the right place. But that comes with the responsibility and the desire to be somebody, achieve something. You know, the reason why Tim Ferriss had depression and all that stuff is because he basically was nothing to do. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly where I've uh, – where where my aspirations lie is to – is so – what do I want to say? How do I want to phrase this? Exactly what you were saying is so that when I do free up my time, the, the amount of time I'm doing, like just doing work is lessened so that I can have more time to think – To think strategically, to really uh, dive into um, the, you know, kind of the bigger problems and, but just replace the kind of work from like, you know, the doing to, you know, just the deeper, more, you know, philosophic, strategic, thought invoking strategic work.
1: Well, look, but work by definition is something that isn't complete yet, right? Yes. So thinking is work. It's just that we, we think work is nine to five work, work. So I think work is but David Allen's definition. It's all work, right? Everything right. is work. It just, it, what, what I think we are trying to say as entrepreneurs is, hey, what was necessary and exciting isn't the necessary and exciting anymore. I need to graduate to this level, but these things may still need to get done. That's when, when you create a strategy, part of that may be, I need someone to do these things here, because maybe the things that you don't want to do anymore or that you find useless do add value to the organization. Somebody could do it better and add more value. So yeah. that comes part of the, of, of the strategy, right? And, and sort of this, this mindset. But look, you can get rid of things if they're useless, right? And, that, and that's, I'm all for that. But you think they're useless, they may not be. You know, The, the 80-20 principle operates non-linearly a lot of times what you think is the cause isn't is is not the cause right it's i know a symptom lot of guys sometimes
0: have another cause
1: yeah so you know i know a lot of guys who are very successful and they think they know what made them successful they don't have a clue i'm better at the, than they are at, at determining what made them successful you know so you, you you don't know i mean you don't know necessarily what is the thing you're doing that's really not always sometimes you know but sometimes you don't know what's the thing that's really giving you that value right so it's it's a very you know I know a marketing guy in your space went broke and he's now trying to come back because he took the 80-20 principle to the nth degree.
2: Mm-hmm. And he
1: got it totally wrong. Yeah, He couldn't even pay my buddy's bill for $5,000. He had to make payments, right? So, and I think he's doing better now. God willing, really he's doing great. But you, you gotta be really careful, right? The 80-20 principle is, even though Richard talks about elimination, it really isn't about elimination. It's about discovery. Right. And then by discovery, it naturally eliminates but if you don't discover what's really moving the needle, man, you're in for a world of hurt.
0: That is profound, and I love it. And it's um, I and it's a it's a very refreshing perspective on the entire uh, on the entire issue. As this whole interview has been, marks so I've really really enjoyed it. Um, what is a um is it, are there any nuts you're trying to crack right now? Anything that myself my listeners can potentially um, do for you? Is there any anything you're anybody you're trying to meet anything you're trying to learn any challenge you're trying to solve
1: every day right all of the above Mm -hmm. so so thank you for that i really appreciate that and this has been an absolute blast you know what i want to help people right i mean and people say it all the time i really do genuinely want to help entrepreneurs i don't know how to do that just yet so i'm still racking my brain i mean i you know i'm fortunate enough i you're doing a pretty good job right now so well thank you I'm fortunate if I, I get to hang out with some people and I can probably take on a few more clients. I don't know how to better hit the masses because there's, and I know that our market will be smaller because we're about the truth. I, I see what's happening now with entrepreneurs and these big conventions and, you know, you can 10x this and you can do that and mm-hmm. you can do this and they're spewing beautiful things that just don't work but sound good. You know, it's like, it's like junk food, right? It tastes so good, yeah. but at the end of the day it isn't good for you, right? where we're gonna provide, I wanna provide the reality, right? I mean, like what you just heard now is not what people talk about, but this is the truth, right? This is yeah. what, what we can verifiably know is true. And think about it, when I said something that you, that it resonated with you, you're like, that's right. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, that's right. I didn't have to sell you, I didn't have to convince you, you knew internally, that's exactly. And now, because I've said it in a certain way that, you, that resonates with you, you've now given yourself permission to see things and behave differently, which is gonna make a big impact in your business. Watch, it'll happen, it happens every time. And just the way there you, you see things, you're gonna feel more confident, you're gonna be happy, you're gonna you're gonna think differently, which gives you a different behavior set. You're not gonna feel guilty anymore. You're not gonna feel less than before. You're not gonna feel deficient or defective, which is a really terrible thing that a lot of these guys tell us because that's how they sell us products. Yeah, exactly. They sell stuff. Right? Exactly. So hey look, and not that they're not helpful. They are helpful. It works great. But they're appealing, I think, to the fear of loss or the lack of efficiency to make us buy. Which is great and if you buy it, implement it because the product is still good. I don't want that. I want the entrepreneur to know they're awesome, they're incredible, you're fucked up just like the rest of us and that's what makes you so cool <laughs> and you can still succeed without changing your hair color and your eye color and you know all that stuff and that it really is different than what they tell us. And that's, I mean that's, listen man, I, I was that guy that thought he had the Midas touch and everything I touched turned to gold. And I made two or three moves and I went from making a quarter mil net income a month to losing a quarter mil almost in 30 days.
2: Yeah,
0: it's got a way of humbling like, you when uh, oh. you get ahead of yourself. But oh. you know, you're doing a great job enlightening a lot of the entrepreneurs who are, myself included, who are listening to this show. If people That's do want to reach out and say, man, this really resonated with me, um, I want to explore how deep this rabbit hole goes, what's the best way that they can get a hold of you?
1: They can just email me directly. It's Marxar at me dot com. M a r x a r at me dot com.
0: Fantastic.
1: And I, you know, I I don't have I've. I'll, if somebody emails me, I will eventually get to it. I promise. But you will get a response from me, no matter what. If not, cool, no big deal. But if you want anything, and I, I'm happy to connect with anybody if I can add value.
0: Fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of this episizzle. Because it is so hot, it's <laughs> sizzling. Everybody else has episodes; we have episizzles. But, Marks, thank you it. so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, this has been—I uh, can't wait to jump, listen to it again, jump into the show notes, and pull out all the pieces of wisdom, uh, guys. If you have—if uh, this resonates with you—send an email to Marx. I'm um, putting uh, his email in the show notes. Tell him what you thought. Share this on social media. Tag me. Let me know how much you loved it. And if you have any questions for me, you can send an email to askbrad at baconwrappedbusiness.com. I appreciate every single one of you. Also, appreciate your reviews on iTunes. Let me know what you think about the show. Marks, I definitely look forward to staying in touch with you. And, um, and 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 you know, now that we know each other a little bit better and seeing how far this, as I said, how deep this rabbit hole goes.
1: Hey, man, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Is there anything else I can do to make your day any better?
0: Not at all. You've done an amazing job.
1: Thanks, bud. Have a great day. Hit that, me up if you need me for the other ones. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Will do. And guys, tune in to the next episode real soon.